Good morning, everybody. Happy Mother's Day to all your mothers. Eh, she says. Uh, yeah, uh, happy Mother's Day. I do not have a Mother's Day message, so if you were a mom and counting on being uplifted today, uh, nope, not going to happen. That's what your kids are for. So anyway, uh, yeah, just a, a one thing I just wanted to mention before. Uh, we pray and and get started with this morning's service. Is that uh, and I mentioned it last Sunday that our our YouTube video and this is our this was really the the final project for the course that uh, I say I took but really Chris and I took it together because she's my helper and my editor and uh, she did a terrific job. Um, all the, the good comments that came from the professor were all due to things that Chris, they were Chris's ideas. So, awesome. So, as you can see, it's on, a, on addiction. The title is Take This Addiction From Me. Uh, and so, our YouTube page is up there. I know it's long and convoluted, but it's Grace and Truth Ministries 5817. I don't know, they assign that to us. And I'll, I put that up because there's other Grace and Truths out there. So you could put Grace and Truth and put my name, and it'll come up with a little bit of searching. So the the plan is that we're going to make more of these. Another plan is to remake this uh, better uh, because we're still learning. Uh, The sound isn't that great, and we want to change some of the visuals, but... um, And I want to encourage you and all you online that if you do have any ideas... For a video, like a five-minute, these are are generally to send out. uh, They're for us, of course, but uh, also I think it gives us an opportunity to send out to people we know uh, for evangelistic purposes, uh, to share truth with them. You know, someone who's not willing to sit and listen to an hour class. uh, We can um, put together quick summaries uh, great doctrinal points, devotions. There's uh, there's five devotions that are at the end tail end of this video, um, and uh, stuff like that. So if you have any ideas and you want to join the creative team, which right now is two, but two is two is a team. So if you wanna if you wanna join the team, uh, we we would love your help. And I think it, it it's just great fun. It, it's great fun to do. And it's an opportunity to get God's truth out there. There's a lot of it out there. There's tons of great teachers on YouTube. But, you know, we could add our little input there as well. All right, let's open up in prayer. And today we're going to continue in our work in First Thessalonians. We're at the end. And uh, see Paul's summary of the entire book in just two sentences which is why we're kind of hit the brakes here for a little bit on this, because there's much in these two verses. So let's open up in prayer. Let's thank God for his opportunity to be able to be together, to learn his word. Always just encourage you to be humble so that you're, you're, you listen and, and learn, and uh, that we all enjoy God's revelation together. So with that, let's pray. Our great God and Father in heaven, thank you so much for who you are. You are holy and sanctified. You and you alone 
one who has without exist uh, without creation creation you have no beginning and no end is what i mean to say and we thank you father that though your immensity your infinity your even things like your love and your righteousness are beyond our comprehension but yet through jesus christ our lord your son you brought heaven to earth you renewed us through him made us new and promised us and gave us a destiny of a new life and a new world. And through your word, Father, and the Holy Spirit within, we can understand some of this, and it's enough to make our lives exceeding abundantly beyond uh, anything we could imagine. And so, Father, as we look to, and this morning we're going to be looking at your peace, and we ask that through the Spirit in each of us that we would comprehend what you would have us know and the immensity of this subject, of this word that is related to your very person. We ask supernaturally for understanding that we may enjoy it. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. All rise, please.
Bye.
A wealthy man lost almost all of his wealth overnight. He planned a new life, and just as the plans were put in place, all of his children died in the same day. Lingering over the graves of his daughters, he had four daughters, they all died in the same day. The man, a Christian, wrote a hymn based on this scripture. In Isaiah chapter 66, verse 12. Behold, I extend peace to her like a river, and the glory of the nations like an overflowing stream. And we just sang this hymn this morning. It is well with my soul. However, the true title of the song is Ville de Havre. It's French. I don't know how to say it. That is the name of the ship that sunk on the Atlantic that contained... Uh, Horatio Spafford's wife and four daughters. The wife's, his wife survived, and his four, four daughters died, along with 250 others. Uh, two ships had crashed into each other. Spaf- Spafford was a successful lawyer in Chicago who had invested significantly in property along the Michigan, uh, uh, Lake Michigan. And the Great Chicago Fire of 1871 destroyed his holdings. Uh, His business interests were further hit by another economic downturn that occurred in 1873, at which time he planned to travel to England with his family on the SS Ville de Hue. I don't know how to say it. I I think it's it's not too soon, right? This happened in 1870, so I can make fun of the ship, I guess. But anyway... Why was he going? Actually, to help Dwight L. Moody in his evangelistic work in England. Uh, Dwight Moody was a dear friend of his, a close friend of his. A late change of plans uh, meant that he had to send his wife and daughter ahead of him, so they went alone on the ship. He was delayed, and then uh, and then they, they died. Uh, when his wife uh, arrived in England and sent him a telegram. The telegram read, Saved Alone. Uh, Horatio Spafford, on November 22nd, 1873, crossed the Atlantic, and while the ship that he was on uh, held, although that's when the, the four daughters, sorry, I messed that up, uh, Annie, age 12, Maggie, age seven, Bessie, age four, and an 18-month-old baby. His his wife's name was Anna, and she survived the tragedy alone. As he uh, went over there to meet with her, to meet her as the ship went over that area where they roughly assumed uh, the, the other ship went down, he penned that song. It is well with my soul. How can anybody say that after such a tragedy? The end of his song, if you notice, at the last stanza speaks about eternity. When the, the faith shall be sight and the clouds rolled, rolled back like a scroll. And in what, what he does there, which is significant to our what we're looking at today, is the fact that you know, you lost a loved one. I can't imagine the tragedy of losing all four of your children. Uh, 
and yet, in the end, you know, like this world, this is the process of going somewhere. The whole, the prophet, all the prophets spoke about it. The whole Old Testament speaks about it. Actually, it's right there in Genesis 3 in the beginning. And on and on through Scripture, it's revealed and revealed. And in our age, it's revealed the most, especially with the book of Revelation, that all things are going to be made well. All people, meaning believers, and all of the world is going to be at peace. Finally. And that has never been in doubt in the Scripture. When would it come? Well, you read even all the prophets. I was reading Isaiah in preparation for this, and even Isaiah is like, when? You know, he's, he's waiting. He's, when is this happening? But he knows it's going to happen. And that's why uh, Horatio Spafford could have peace, because he had a relationship with God that knew that that tragedy did not define him or define his life or define his daughter's. And that there was an end in sight. This was just a bump in the road. But that God had everything under control and that God is so powerful that he will bring it all to his perfect end. All history and all of us. When I say all of us, I mean every part of you. Perfectly holy. This is peace beyond comprehension. Peace beyond comprehension. Death of loved ones, especially children, tragic. I can't imagine. But with death, at least it's final. With time, we move on. But what if you live in an environment that is constantly in conflict? A person in your life, whether it's home or work or wherever, uh, constantly causes conflict. Some believers are tethered and they can't get away from self-centered others. Self-centered people cause tragedy, uh, not, well, tragedy, yeah, but they cause conflict (laughs) for various reasons. Now, if, is our peace possible only when those tethers are broken? In other words, the person in my life who's causing the conflict, they're gone or out of my life or the situation that's causing the conflict or the heartache is gone. Uh, God is more powerful than that. God does not need to remove the conflict because he's more powerful than the conflict. And that's what we're going to look at today. God, uh, sorry, Paul in 1 Thessalonians 5, you could turn there now, 1 Thessalonians 5.23. I could say God says it, of course. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.23 Starts off with, now may the peace of God, peace of God, let's back that up. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. That's the first clause. Uh, Now, why God of peace? This uh, verb, the verb is, uh, this is a prayer. It's a wish prayer. Uh, It's one of the rare cases where we have an optative mood in a sentence. And uh, we have two of them, one after another. But an optative is, I I hope this is true, I wish this is true, and therefore it is a prayer. So why does God, sorry, why does Paul use the title God of Peace? 
uh, <clears throat> God of fill-in-the-blank is used 485 times in the Scripture. God of Israel, God of Jacob, God of hosts, Lord of fill-in-the-blank is another 275 or something like that. So, you know, almost 700 times we have God of or Lord of, and then there's a, a modifier. You know, that modifier is, what is he? And in this case, we have God of, and Paul could have put anything here out of his many options, but he puts peace. Why peace? God wants peace in all of us, through and through. Not just parts of your life, but all of your life. Not just in your mind and not in your flesh, but the whole thing. And that's when he says, sanctify you. Notice again in verse 23, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. Entirely. Then may your spirit and soul and body be preserved, meaning protected by God, complete. Now complete there means uh, the sum of all parts. That's a great definition for that word. It's the word halas, which is whole, combined with the word for lots. Not, not lots and lots, but meaning like a bag of, uh, uh, you know, everybody put a ticket. Or it's like drawn straws, and it's all the straws. The whole lot. Every piece. And so it actually speaks of pieces that are all together yours. In this case, they're all together God's. And so what we want to look at today is, and this is emphasized by Paul, is the wholeness or the completeness or the entirety. And notice in the previous verses in chapter 5, 16, 17, and 18, he says, in, in all things rejoice. Right? In everything. In everything rejoice. Right? He puts everything at the front. Everything rejoice. Without ceasing, pray. He puts without ceasing first. The English switches them, unfortunately. In everything, give thanks. And now we have so everything without ceasing, always. And now we have all parts. And Paul is, and he's summarizing the whole letter in these two sentences, 23 and 24. Paul is saying, look, you guys have been doing great. In chapter 4, he said, excel still more. Keep at it and keep growing. And it is my prayer that you are sanctified through and through. And here, of course, he's talking about sanctification as a lifestyle, as behavior, how we think, how we act, how we speak, what we do in every area of life. Every area. All under God's will. And that's what peace is. Now, in the Old Testament, it's shalom. Right? It's more than a greeting to the Jews, the ones who understood it. Much more than a greeting. It was, may your world, all of it, be at peace. That's what I meant. Everything. So, what is peace? So, that's the thing that we have to answer next. This God of peace who wants to sanctify us entirely, why the God of peace? It's connected with the entirely. Because peace means God's whole world. He, this is the power of God. It all went wrong, right? We ate, the, we ate of the fruit. 
uh, reading Genesis a couple days ago, and and uh, it just struck me so strongly how the uh, <coughs> the serpent says to the woman, you know, has God said that you can eat of any tree of the garden? And she said, no, we we can't eat it. We can eat of all the trees except this one, because God said if we eat of it, we'll die. Satan's response: You won't die. Oh, it's just so sinister. Because when she eats, does she drop dead? No. So Satan could say, see, God's a liar. But as soon as she took that bite, the clock started ticking. Yes, death took 900 years, but she was a dead woman. The grace of God gave her 900 years to get her life right with God. And same with us, you know, the, the kingdom of darkness will say, well, look, you can give God these parts of your life, but hold on to these for yourself. Come on, don't be so crazy about God in the Bible, right? Keep these areas to yourself. Be like the other cool people in the world. You don't have to dedicate everything to him. You won't die. And when we're talking about our spiritual lives as God is going to show us here, if we don't give it all over to him, this perpetual peace that's in everything and all the time and every day, that doesn't matter what happens to me, I'm in peace with my Lord. I have confidence, even if when I'm in pain and I'm struggling. I'm not freaking out. Oh, well, I did freak out for a little bit, but then, because I'm human, right? Meaning I'm a sinner, But I repented, I recovered, I confessed, I'm done with that. Because I know that I have been faithfully called by God before the foundation of the world to be entirely sanctified. He called me for that reason. I have no other options than to live that way. And when God convinces you of that, he can really use you. Because you're at peace. Peace is a strength, a great strength. And that's why God wants it for us in all of our lives. So when the devil says you won't die, he's a liar. Because when I hold back parts of my life from God's sanctification, His holiness, when I hold back parts from myself, I am robbing myself of peace. Robbing myself. I'm giving it up. And God doesn't want us to do that. Now, who here has not done that? Uh, All right, good. No hands went up. That's good. Of course you wouldn't. But I am as guilty as anybody in throwing away the gifts of God like they were worthless. I did it. I did it again and again. And like I said the other night in class, and I I think all of us should have this mantra, we want to finish strong. Sure, we've had tons of mistakes in the past, tons of ignorance, tons of foolish decisions. But as the word of God, and God is here saying, look, I'm still here. I still love you. I am still drawing you to myself. It doesn't, in this race, it doesn't matter how old you are. In, uh, in you know, in human races, there's a joke in there somewhere. <laughs> I, I went, I tried jogging. I'm trying to get in a little better shape. I tried jogging a couple days ago. And my legs, I can still, I'm still having a hard time standing up from a sitting position. Uh, it was awful. 
It was painful and awful. And why does anybody do this who's over 25 years old? I have no idea. But anyway, what is peace? Ultimately, it is every part of you and your whole world, holy unto God. Do you know, like in the in the millennial reign, it, there's a the, one of the prophecies is that there's a there's a plate on the high priest on his turban. There's a plate in gold etched on it, holy to the Lord. And then it says at the end, the the little bells that are hanging off the bridles of the horses will all have engraved on them, holy to the Lord. And that's God's way of saying, my whole world is going to be holy to the Lord. And that's what He wants for us now. We don't wait for the millennium. We don't wait for heaven. We do it now. And when you do it now, boy, it's interesting. Because of the opposition, because you've got to fight for it, because you've got to reach for it, because you've got to choose it. And there's always stuff in the way that says don't choose it. So in, uh, go to Isaiah. Look at Isaiah 48. Jeremiah 6.14, first, first before we get into the good stuff, we have to uh, throw out there the, the, the bad stuff. But I, I want to, meaning in our world. In our world, there's all kinds of charlatans. The greatest one is the Prince of Darkness, who's trying to tell the world that peace can be had. And this, this is peace as God means it. Not just every once in a while I feel okay and I'm not anxious, uh, but that I'm through and through prosperous. Another word for peace, by the way, is prosperity. It means blessing in every area of my life. And that does not mean a lack of suffering. Blessing from God means that even when I'm suffering, I'm overcoming. The great blessings of God are the strength of truth and love and and your ability to apply those things to your life, those are the great blessings. So it does mean prosperity in all things. And here in Jeremiah 6.14, we have the false teachers. These in our world right now are leaders, professors, teachers in public school, uh, politicians, authors, philosophers. Look, I wrote up my list and I put politicians twice. That must... <laughs> Say something about me. And ultimately, and the, the media, mass media, are all selling this stuff. Jeremiah told Jeremiah a thousand years, more, much more than a thousand years ago, in Jeremiah 6.14, they have healed the brokenness of my people superficially. You see that? Like someone actually tried to heal the brokenness of God's people. These were false priests. They were selling a false falsehood. They were selling a lie so that they could have wealth and position and power. It's the same old thing as happened, uh, it was 2000, you know, Jeremiah is somewhere around 5600 B.C., so 2600 years ago. They're doing the same thing. And they say what? Peace, peace. Oh, everything's going to be fine. Just follow us. Do what we tell you to do. We know. We know the secret to complete prosperity for mankind. And they don't know anything. Peace, peace. But as Jeremiah, so God says through Jeremiah, there is no peace. 
Look at Isaiah 48:22. There's not just at the end of this great paragraph, Isaiah 48:22, there's no peace for the wicked. There is no peace for the wicked. Well, Lord, can I be a little bit wicked? Like, you know, and God is saying, stop playing games with me. Stop playing games. I know you're a little bit wicked. Stop asking for permission. (laughs) I've forgiven you, right? I forgive you. I've forgiven you of everything. Come to me. Come to me and see why wickedness is wicked. It's not wicked good, as we say in New England. It's wicked bad. Find out why. He's willing to teach you. Now, on the good end, those are all the false teachers. Then we've got the the pronouncement, that's not a word, is it, of the angels to the shepherds where they say in Luke 2.14, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. With whom is God pleased? Those who follow him. We could go to multiple passages in the New Testament. These, these, God is pleased with those who give their lives over to Him. They're not perfect by any means. He didn't. He's not pleased with perfection. Well, He is in His Son, of course. But when when it comes to us, He's pleased with a complete commitment. That's what He's pleased with, and He's showing us how. Uh, obviously, you know, you know, Hallmark butchered this and and others. Peace on earth. He doesn't say that. The angels didn't say that at all. Peace with whom he is pleased. Look at Isaiah 26. Go to Isaiah 26.3. Again, getting back to us. And here we're talking about this peace is the wholeness the completeness of who we are. So if God is pleased with you, you're not trying to hide things from Him. Now, we've all done it. Maybe we're doing it now. God is encouraging. He's patient. He's encouraging us to look. Come to a place where I'm pleased with you, meaning that you've given me everything. I'm your Creator. I deserve it. And again, we see it in Isaiah 26, 3 and 4. The steadfast of mind you will keep in perfect peace because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever for in, the Lord, for in God the Lord we have an everlasting rock. Completely and utterly dependable. Nothing he says can be a lie. And therefore when he says that this is the way of peace and this is the way of prosperity which is entire sanctification he's saying don't hold on to those things that are outside of my will. Give them to me. As scared as you may be, give them to me. Take baby steps, need be, but give them. Give them over. You're only delaying this process of being filled with my peace. Uh, The New Living Translation, which is one that I like very much, for one that's more modern, this is a very good one. Uh, In Isaiah 26.3, you will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. 
And, and that's a, actually a better translation, in my opinion, to the New American Standard because what you read in New American Standard is steadfast of mind. And that's good. It's just that the, the Hebrew word means to lean on something. Its literal, its literal root word means to lean on. And so the one who leans on him, he'll keep in perfect peace. So that kind of brought out more here. Our thoughts are fixed on you. Right? That's occupation with Christ. That's occupation with what is God's way? What is God's will? And as we'll see and, and when we get to the end here, one of the things that is the key to peace in us is prayer. Pray without ceasing. It keeps coming up, doesn't it? God wants us talking to him. Go to Isaiah 9. So now we look, so that's us with God, whom God is well pleased, is peace, peace with those who trust you and whose thoughts are fixed upon you. And now in Isaiah 9, 6, we see the whole government of God. So it's not just us, but the world. Now, we're not going to see this in our lifetime, right? So we have to, but we, we need to see this in order to understand that when God wants peace in us, it's our whole selves and how we operate in the whole world. So how I deal with you and how I deal with a stranger, with a neighbor, with my wife, with my daughter, with my family, how I deal with everybody, how I deal with every circumstance, every one of them. I say, this is holy to the Lord, meaning I will do his will. Isaiah 9.6, famous, famous passage, rightly so. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Counselor Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Right? So Jesus Christ, which is who this obviously is, is the Prince of Peace. The Father, God of peace. And then he says, there will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. So you see, his government, meaning the world he will rule, which he is he's the right hand of God now, but you know, for a while he is still allowing Satan to be the God of this world, to be the prince of the power of the air and to rule this world. But we know that as Paul said in Thessalonians, he's, the day of the Lord's coming like a thief in the night. And when that comes, he will rule. And what is the characteristic of his government? It's peace. That word is sh that's shalom. Hebrew word shalom. It means everything. What part of, when Jesus rules the world, what part of it is going to have anything going on that's not under his will? Right? Even when they rebel against him. Not going to let it happen. He's going to rule with a rod of iron. He's not going to let it happen. There's nothing. There's no hidden place where we're like we're, we have a rebellion going. And it's no hidden place. It's only after he releases Satan for a short while. Satan gathers all those who have hated Christ for a thousand years, and they rebel. Um, but notice, and this is like heaven itself. So, continuing in verse, just verse 7 again, there will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace 
on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. That's his omnipotence. The Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies, he will accomplish it. So, Horatio's song, Haste the day when faith shall be sight. That's that. It will be accomplished. Now, God wants us to be completely at peace. Through and through. And I hope you're starting to see that this word means more than, I feel relaxed. I mean, certainly that's a part of it. But what about when you're in the throes of conflict? And, you know, is there peace possible in that? And we're not always going to be like, oh, I'm so relaxed. You know, we saw the Lord was angry at times. We saw the Lord was in angst, especially in the Garden of Gethsemane. Had within himself incredible pressure. But yet when we look at peace as being not just the tranquility of heart, but also the prosperity of us in strength and in truth, applying God's will to every situation sanctified entirely. And in my book, that's why Paul uses the title God of Peace when he could have used any other title. Because of the entirely, the completeness of it. Go to Isaiah 53.5. First off, peace is established at the cross. 53.5. This is us, our peace with God. Uh, but Isaiah 53, 5, he was, but he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening of our well-being. And now I'm reading New American Standard, but uh, in that word well-being is the word shalom. So the chastening of our peace, you could put there, fell upon him. The chastening for our peace, sorry. For, that, that preposition is important. For our peace. He took judgment of the sins of the world upon himself hanging on the cross for our shalom. It's really tied also to the, the uh, Hebrew word sabbat, to Sabbath. This rest. Everything is God's. Everything is given over to him. And, and by doing that, it mean, that means my will. And then he says, by his, scourgings we are, by his scourging, we are healed. In Colossians 1.20, through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. So in Isaiah, the chastening upon him, his judgment was for our peace. And repeated here, in Colossians 1.20, through him to reconcile all things to himself. That's the end line of that beautiful poem that's in Colossians 1.15 through 20. All right, so if we, let's go back to our main passage, 1 Thessalonians 5. So and we'll see here, now we look at verse 24, kind of tie the two together. The God of Shalom. 
He is faithful. Well, of course he is, right? I mean, God can't lie. He can't change. That's his nature. Right? That's his nature. So, you know, we, we could almost say, well, it's easy for you, God. You know, you don't have to contend with anything. You just do it all naturally. But notice verse 24. Faithful is he who calls you. See, that's a choice. Now, you chose. We're not going to get into Calvinism here this morning. There's not enough time, nor do I want to. But, um, you know, he calls you. This is a present participle. It's not called. It's not past tense. This is present tense, meaning now, current, meaning he calls you today. Now, you're already saved, so why is he still calling you? Should I grab my phone? It's my use of a prop. I don't have a cord, but he's calling you. So, you know, what is the calling of today? Holy to the Lord. That's the calling. What are you doing today? Whatever it is. Holy to the Lord. And when you start, if if you're after this, and this is what he's trying to convince you to do, when you're after this and you start getting, and you know it, and I know it, angst, angry, worry, judging, uh, lost immorality. It's coming. It's coming. It's bombarding me. Call Him. Prayer will... What's that? I don't have the verse memorized. My wife has it memorized. Philippians 4, 6 and 7. I'll put you on the spot. She's had that ver- the, the whole section memorized since she was a kid. You should just rattle it off for you. Not now. We're not under the gun. I, don't, I couldn't do it either. But uh, <clears throat> it's a wonderful thing to see because that her prep school teacher back in the day, Karen Hancock, taught all the kids where, where she was in, uh, to teach, uh, sorry, to memorize that passage. And you know, Chris will carry that word with her her whole life. Uh, it's not a bad thing to memorize Scripture. If you've got a favorite one or multiple, you will carry God's Word with you in your soul. So, uh, God is faithful. Again, verse 24, faithful is He who calls you. That's present tense. What's He called you to? Holiness now, today. What are you doing today? Whatever it is, holy to the Lord. Who are you with today? Uh, don't don't say uh, don't ruin my day, you know making me think. Of that. <laughs> uh, no, who are you with today? Holy to the Lord. How do you treat them? Right, you could have oodles and oodles of doctrine in your head and just kind of blow that all off. But the application of it is what's important. The importance of being called to be entirely sanctified or calls you. So faithful is he who calls you. Just to uh, quickly, what it means is that God elected you before the foundation of the world and he doesn't make mistakes. This means that all, if God is faithful to entirely sanctify you, that means if you're a born-again believer, you're called for this. So none of them say, well, that was for the saints. Well, you're a saint and you know that. But that was, that's for Paul. That's for the apostles. That's for the elite Christians. There's no such thing. There's no such thing as elite Christians. We are all called to it. The faithfulness of God here is connected to our election 
And the faithfulness of God in choosing us before the foundation of the world means he did not make a mistake. I, if I say to God, I can't do this, then that's a lie. And what God is doing, therefore, by his word, and the spirit in, the, in you will make this real to you, is he's convincing us that we are called to this. And if that's true, then all of my little excuses, I had a bad upbringing, I had bad parents, I had bad this, I had bad that, I got bad genetics, I got this, I got that, I, you, don't know, you don't know what she's like, that kind of thing. All goes out the window. God's not, God is faithful, calls you. So Paul says in Colossians 2.18, let no one keep defrauding you of your prize. And in Colossae, it was a false doctrine concerning some kind of Gnostic mysticism that the people were buying into. And Paul said, look, don't let them take it. This is too valuable. The life that Christ has given us. You see what eternal life is. The more I see it, the more I'm, I'm floored by it. Like, it's not just a duration of life in a very nice place. Though it is that. This is a life that's Him. In us. Now we can agree with God on some aspects of His sanctification while we disagree with Him on other aspects. We won't say this verbally out loud to most people, but inwardly say, well, we, you know, we agree with some aspects of your sanctification. Those are the ones that are generally easier to us, and uh, we disagree with others. And those are usually areas in our lives where we're heavily tempted or we have weaknesses. But God is saying to us here, as Paul is praying here, that this is fatal to our spiritual life. To keep parts of our lives to ourselves and not to Him. And I liken this to uh, a beautiful city. Now, ancient world, modern world, this has always been the case. I looked for a picture of a more ancient world city, but I couldn't really find a good one that I wanted. But say you were looking at, I don't know, Babylon or even Jerusalem and back in 2000 B.C., well, Jerusalem wouldn't be there, sorry, but, uh, you know, some city back then. Say you were looking at Ur, right, where Abraham came from. Ur was around, around 2500 B.C. It's an old, old city. But if you were looking at it from a distance, in especially, you know, it would look like a jewel. Because it's kind of in the middle of nowhere. It's in the middle of the desert. But, uh you know, it's, there it is. It's beautiful. But as you get closer and you walk into the city, start walking around. Then you take a left and a right and you end up, this is L.A. Now, would you like to walk around L.A. at night? Well, you know, from this distance, it looks pretty nice. It would be a nice walk. But then you end up in there. That is Skid Row. Famous for its homeless population. Now, you see, this is what complete sanctification is. That is how I portray myself, even to God. And I think he doesn't see. 
oh, I'm an idiot. Yeah, okay, we all are. But that's how I portray myself. I'm shiny. I'm good. I'm sanctified. But secretly, oh, I missed it. Where's my skid row? Secretly, oh, wrong button. There we go. Secretly, I've got areas of my soul that are just like this. You just have to look a little closer. And God looks at it all. Nothing hidden from his sight. And he, so, this is not a negative thing. As ironically as that may sound, because we all got skid row in our souls. And when we started off in Christianity, it was there was a big population of stinky, smelly drug addicts in our soul. Huge population of them. But God showed us, grew us, and more and more areas of our soul, he plucked for himself. He plucked for himself. This is mine. This is mine. This is mine. And we gave them over to him. And yet, there's still areas that were like, God, is it enough? And he's like, "Uh uh-uh. Why isn't it enough? Because he wants for you perfect peace. That's what he wants. He wants to get rid of this so that your whole self, every day, everywhere, with everyone, is where your soul is at perfect peace. That's a very appropriate song for this, too. Don't worry about it, Kelly. Don't you worry about that. Right. That's nice. Don't worry about it, man. Don't worry about it. So, how does this come about? A few examples. A wife may agree with the holiness of sexual morality, while she does not agree with the holiness of being subject to her husband. I don't know. I, I thought up these examples yesterday. If they, that's kind of a funny one to me. You know, I don't. I don't know why I thought of that, but, but you know, it's it's a place where you know women don't generally have the problem with pornography that men are tempted to. State it plainly. It is a massive source of addiction in our world right now, thanks to the Internet. A wife may agree with the holiness of sexual morality, while she does not agree with the holiness of being subject to her husband. Is she entirely sanctified? A husband may agree with the holiness of learning God's word, what he does not agree with the holiness of sexual morality. He's secretly addicted to pornography, yet he studies God's word faithfully every day. Am I, am I judging? No. I'm trying to set you free. That you're studying God's word every day is awesome. Now add to it by removing the other. A Christian may agree with the holiness of morality, but not agree with the holiness of gossip and slander. We should all be moral. And did you see what neighbor Bob did the other day? Oh, my God. Did you see? You know, and on and on you go. A believer may agree with the holiness of learning God's word, but not agree with the holiness of forgiveness in love. Piles of doctrine in that head. But if you wrong them, adios. No forgiveness. The position that we as believers must be aware of is our ignorance of this situation. 
A believer may often be bitter, but because they learn God's word, they may ignore the unholy aspects of their lives. And therefore, you're holding on to something that's robbing you of this peace that God has promised. You have it sometimes, but can be lost so easily. And this is not what God wants for us, hence Paul's prayer. So this same will be true for all those who don't see themselves in humble contriteness before God's word and make the proper corrections, because we all have it. We all got that place in us. God's word reveals it. If we're humble before God's word, we will long to make the changes. So the idea of peace in the Bible is wholeness and completeness of blessing and fulfillment, every part of us and every part of our world. Now, we're not in heaven yet. So that every part of our world part is not going to happen in this life. Nor are we going to get perfect at this. I, I would, all of us are going to, for the rest of our lives, there'll be even, the areas of weakness will get less and they'll get less uh, powerful, I guess. Less strong, weaker, that's the word. So... But even so, there'll never be a time where we'll say, well, uh, you know, I'm holy through and through. I need no more improvements or no more growth. That's not true. That's never going to happen. We have miles to go. But what God is giving us here, before we get to heaven, this is the miracle of the church. It's the miracle of the church. That God promised Israel, I'm going to put my spirit in you. I'm going to make your heart soft so that you follow my will. Uh, I'm going to throw your sins as far as the east is from the west. I'm not even going to uh, uh, remember them anymore. And God gave that blessing to this age. It's the spiritual blessings of the new covenant. We're not promised all the physical stuff. That's coming. That in no way means that Israel, as a nation, as a people, are not going to have their covenants fulfilled in the future. They are. It's just they rejected their Messiah, and what God made in this age was something that was called a mystery. And that mystery now is revealed. And to us has been given this life that is spiritually heaven. And we don't have to wait for heaven to be at peace. And it's a marvelous thing that God has done. It's, you know, I don't think we should be surprised at that. But the marvelous thing that God has done is that he has created in the new creature a heavenly being while being in an old body and in the old world. And so Christ would point to us and say, now you're the light of the world. It's astounding. But then he would tell us, and this is very necessary for us, he would particularly tell us what it looks like to be a light of the world. Imagine if he left it up to us. Imagine. Imagine he said, look, I want to keep my word short and sweet. I don't want you to have to carry around a big fat book everywhere you go. So I'm going to keep it short. Love one another as I've loved you. Done. Okay. Well, what does love look like? How many people in this room? There's like 100, 150. <laughs> It'd be 150 different opinions. 
What does that love look like? So those opinions would overlap for sure. But the only, actually, they would align here because you know his word. What if the word only said love? Oh, there'd be multiple opinions in what it is. But God gives us specifics just enough. He doesn't give us more than what we need. He gives us the specifics about what does holiness look like. And hence he says, learn my word. The word is going to tell you again and again and again what it looks like. Jesus said, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give it to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. John 14, night before he died. My peace I give to you. Do not be afraid. And John 16, at the end of his upper room. These things I have spoken to you, so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage. I've overcome the world. The whole world's going to try and stop you from being at peace. See, what he wants us to do is take these promises and make them real in our souls so that when, we, when, the, when the world comes or the flesh says, let's do something that takes us out of God's will, we say, no. Uh-uh. Because life with God is extraordinary. And life with you, flesh, is not so great. You used to convince me that it would be pretty good. <laughs> yeah. I, was, I was talking with a friend of mine a couple of days ago. Back, way back in the day, we were drinking buddies. Man, oh man, we would tear it up. And uh, not anymore. We were talking about the freedom that God had given us. Uh, God had to smash us to bits, though. <laughs> But, you know, God gave God gives freedom. He gives freedom. I'd say to any anybody who's struggling with it, you say this this idea of complete holiness is just so no, it's just so over the top. It is not. God if God could do it for one human being, he can do it for all. Because none of us are without the skid row. All of us have it. There's not one person on planet Earth where complete sanctification is easier for God than another. It's hard for him to do this. And yet he will convince us. The, the key to us is, you know, and I meant to cl- I will close with this, that God, Paul says, I pray that the God of peace will sanctify you entirely. Who is the agent of sanctification in that sentence? It's God. God's omnipotent, isn't he? So when Paul says, I pray that God, well, may God, sanctify you, who's going to stop God from doing that? He's omnipotent. Nobody can say, God, don't sanctify them. But it's obvious that it doesn't happen for all people. So the real question is, so we could ask, how does God sanctify me? And that's a very easy answer. With his power. And say, well, come on now. That's just too easy. And it is. No, it's that easy. So the better question is not how God's going to sanctify you, but what do you need to do to allow him to sanctify you? Because choices abound here.
And Jesus is going to say it. Follow me. Follow me. Peter, do you love me? Yeah. Follow me. Feed my sheep. Follow me. Do my will. Follow me. And here come the storms of life. You say, well, God, you don't even know what's going on. Of course he does. You could say it to your friend. God, I'm going through so much. Right? And so here comes the storm. The storm's been brewing. Satan and his little demons twisting their little snidely whiplash mustaches have all been planning this. And bam, they hit you with it. And here comes the storm. The storm. Peace like a river, right? Kind of similar. Here comes the storm. But remember the disciples in the boat with Christ when the storm descended upon the Sea of Galilee? And he's asleep. And they say, Jesus, get up. We're all going to die. I think, I, I'm pretty sure they say, don't you care that we're all going to die? And Jesus rebukes the storm. I love how the, the word rebuke is, is, that's what it says. He rebuked the storm. And the sea turned to glass. Calm. Calm. That's peace. If you're a born again believer, Jesus is in your boat. I saw a preacher preach a message on this. He filled his entire stage with water and put a boat on it, and he sat in the boat and taught on this passage. It was incredible. I asked Roger if we could, you know, do something similar. He was like, yeah, that'd be easy. So just wait for the next flood, right? We'll just put a boat down here, and I'll be like, now, calm the storm. <clears throat> So, and his, uh, what made me think of that is he taught a great message on who do you put in your boat with you? You know, who, who are you, and therefore, who are you going to follow? Remember the, the false teachers. The false teachers are going to say, peace, peace. You know, follow me. Go this way. You know, put this in your body. It's going to be great. Uh, do this. Look at this. Keep listening to this. It's going to be great. It's not. It's a lie. If it's outside of God's will, there is no peace in it. That's what he says. Thus says the Lord. So if you're stuck in conflict, or your children died, if all of you is sanctified, nothing in life will shake God's peace in you. Nothing. And you will know that everything you face here, God has, you don't know it. I don't know God's solutions and why he does all that he does. Nobody does. But we know that we can trust him. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Peace is prosperity. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you for the guidance of your scripture that shows us how to live in your word. To take upon ourselves that your word would come alive in us so that we would take your peace always with us. Have it always with us. To know, Father, though, we have to be fully sanctified. 
We thank you for your forgiveness and your patience because we're not perfect at this. But as we strive, Father, show us the way to depend upon your grace when we fall, to keep picking ourselves up and pursuing because we know we're forgiven and we know that you will never, ever quit on us. You will never leave us. Therefore, Father, help us to press on to this promised land of perfect peace. We ask in Christ's name, amen. All right. We'll take our offering and close it up, get you out on this beautiful day. I love how uh, uh, winter went right into summer here in, in Oregon, uh, no spring. I was talking to my buddy Mike uh, yesterday. He said in New England, he's in Massachusetts. He said the same thing happened there. It's like almost 90 degrees there in, in May. That's pretty pretty odd. So anyway, enjoy it. Let's pray for our offering. Thank you, Father, for the opportunity to give and as your believer priests in worship of you. We give to you and we know it is to you, Father. Thank you for sustaining uh, your word and... And for all who will follow it, we know, Father, that you are faithful. We ask that you bless this offering in Christ's name. Amen. Let's uh, close in prayer. Father, thank you for our gathering. Final moments of our service are always dedicated to anyone listening who has not come to believe in Christ as their Savior. And if you are listening, I beg you to please consider the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, I'm sure that you have before. And if you have not believed in him or accepted him as your Savior, then you haven't thought about him enough. Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. He is the only one. There is no other name by which men can be saved. In all other religions, people have to work for their salvation. It is not true. God could never want you to work for something that you can't achieve. Who of us could achieve heaven on our own? None of us. We're all sinners, born sinners. And uh, Christ came, the Son of God became a man, died for the sins of the whole world, and was resurrected on the third day. He is alive meaning that there is life after death and He wants you to be with Him. There's only one way to do it and that is to believe upon Him. It may sound too simple, but it wasn't simple for God to accomplish. He has just made it for us without merit, without any work, but by faith to accept God's gift. He is extending eternal life to you. Open up your hand and take it by faith in Christ as your Lord and Savior.
Thank you for all things, Father. In Christ's name, amen.